Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seven wins in nine for Manchester United who respond to Derby humiliation with two comeback victories. Not necessarily comfy or convincing, but cheering at the very least. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with me, Harry Robinson, and with Jack Tate. Today on the show, we analyse in most depth United's win over Everton on Sunday, looking at Casemiro's up-and-down display, David De Gea's pretty commanding performance, Anthony's third goal in as many league games, and plenty more. Later in the show, we look a little further back to the Marcus Rashford-inspired 3-2 win in Cyprus. And in the last part of the episode, you'll hear an extensive youth and loan roundup with a pretty successful week for a few players out in the Football League. And we wrap up by previewing, in brief, Thursday's match against Omanir Nicosia at Old Trafford in the Europa League. Jack, to kick things off, I saw a, a well-phrased comment from a time-served red post-match on Sunday who said... I think what we can all take from this last seven days is what we really all knew being football fans. Losing makes everything feel like shit. Winning makes everything feel so much better. Football really is such a simple game. <laughs> I mean, that kind of makes me want to just not ever record a podcast here because we talk so much <laughs> about everything else in between, but that is quite a good way to just sum it up. I mean, it's true. You know, coming out of this week, to be honest, after watching United beat Everton yesterday, the the Manchester Derby humiliation is almost out of my mind at this point. You know, it, it really does just make you feel so much better about the club. And it's crazy that either if we hadn't have scored that third goal in Cyprus on Thursday or if Everton had managed to nick one at the end, I'd feel so, so, so different about where this United team is, despite the fact that, you know, 99% of the rest of the game would be exactly the same. That is just what football is about. We always talk about fine margins and this yeah. United team has been living on that for, for quite a while. Yeah. I mean, ultimately... Yeah. Uh, a a good, not great, but very important week for United. I think, you know, yeah. two performances that showed enough positives to keep you interested and kind of cautiously optimistic about where the future might be, but also enough still going wrong to make it very clear that this United team still is very much a work in progress. But two results that I think we probably won't remember too much come the end of the season, but were very, very important. Because I think if either of those results went a different way, on the back of the Manchester derby, we'd feel a very, very different way about this United team. Yeah, I think it was notable that 
Eric Ten Hag wasn't smiling when he was caught on camera at full time, which gave the the impression, I think quite a helpful impression, it might have even been deliberate from him that he didn't want to be seen to be smiling, that there is still much to work on. And we'll, we will discuss uh, a lot of what there is to work on. But before we do, let's, let's begin by discussing the goal scorers, because I think too often we forget uh, them and, and their goals when we get deep into some of the bigger picture stuff. But for Anthony, three goals in his first three Premier League games, the first player to do that for United. And I think in his finish, but also in his overall game, the key to Anthony and the reason he stands out in this United team, having joined and come in immediately against Arsenal and scored, but in his performances since as well, the key is conviction. Unlike Jadon Sancho, often since he joined, unlike Marcus Rashford in his worst form at the moment, he's got this as well. He has conviction in everything he does. And you see that in the goal where the ball's in front of him and and his first touch is evidence enough. He knows exactly what he's going to do with his next touch. And that's the, the left footed shot into the far corner. And it was a, a fantastic finish from uh, someone who looks like a top player and who has started really, really well. He, I've got to say, I think his general play has, has slightly disappointed me so far. I think I've mentioned it in, a, in an episode a couple of weeks ago. But you're right, the clarity of thought and the conviction that that brings in his game, especially when he gets any kind of chance in front of goal, is massive. And I've, I've been so impressed with the way that he's, he's come in and just offered us a new goal scoring threat to the, to a level that I don't think we ever expected. The goal against Man City is kind of what I expected from Anthony in terms of his goal threat. It would be that kind of cutting inside shots from the edge of the box and that sort of, you know, Riyad Mahrez, Arjen Robin kind of, kind of mold. Yeah. I didn't expect him to, him, his movement to be so good when there is space to run into him, when he could get himself into a one-on-one chance. And like you said, the conviction to actually take those chances when he gets into the positions is great. I mean, if you go back and watch the first goal against Everton, obviously, you know, good finish and it was set up by us winning the ball in midfield. But if you watch the second, I think it was Bruno Fernandes, wasn't it, that uh, dispossessed, was it Garner Gay or Onana in midfield? Whoever it was, as soon as Bruno wins that ball, Anthony goes. And he never, ever lets Mikolenko have a sniff at getting back goal side of him. Because Mikolenko's ahead of Anthony because Everton have the ball they're trying to progress. And as soon as he wins the ball, Anthony's gone. And Martial obviously plays the pass. Anthony then finishes. But it, it was that movement that didn't allow Mikolenko to get back goal side of him that enabled him to even have that opportunity in the first place. That is the kind of just instinctive movement I think Anthony has brought to us that, you know, maybe Rashford has it at his best, but I don't think he has it consistently enough. But that is a, a skill that none of our other wingers really have. Yeah, absolutely. And he brings balance to that right side. And well, he brings balance to the team by being prolific on that right side and, and stretches the the opposition and makes it a, an easier job for, for our left wingers on our, our left back. And he's exactly the kind of player who would cause our defence immense problems. And it's nice to just have that kind of player on our team instead of on the opposition threatening us. Cristiano Ronaldo, 700 club goals, which is ridiculous and we can complain about in plenty. But not only is that a just outrageous statistic worth a, a moment of appreciation, but also this was quite a good week for him. His finishing was off, definitely in Cyprus, but he worked hard and consistently. The finishing was off and he, he really lacked sharpness. And that's a, a, a problem all of his own doing because he desperately over summer tried to leave the club and in doing so didn't have a proper pre-season and it's really showing this is a 38 year old he needs a proper pre-season to be sharp at the start of the season and this is a problem he's caused himself but he lacked sharpness in Cyprus but did well I think the team were to blame for passing too often to him in chances where they should have shot himself but he finally found his shooting boots on Sunday a great finish and again conviction to his play in that moment where it had been missing before 
conviction and sharpness there and, and uh, yeah, a, a top finish, isn't it? Yeah, great finish. And I think in both games, without meaning to oversimplify things, just so much more involved in everything, in every aspect of the game. Obviously against Amalia, the chances didn't, well, the chances did come, but they didn't go in the back of the net for him and you could sense the frustration. Yeah. But I think against Everton, you know, probably in part because he was given a bigger opportunity from having more minutes and not just coming on towards the end of the game as he has done in the Premier League so far. You could sense that from from the, the first few minutes that he was on the pitch, he just felt a lot more active in the game in all, in all aspects, whether that was in defence where, you know, Ronaldo is never going to be this pressing monster, but he was a lot more involved in trying to defend from the front, in, in cutting passing lanes off. There were a couple of really, deep. really good bits where he tracked back and where yeah. where he, and this is actually an area I think we've said before last season, maybe early this season, where sometimes he is surprisingly maybe better than his teammates, better than Sancho and Rashford at least, in that their work rate defensively is pretty inconsistent. Yeah, I think Ronaldo's, Sancho and Rashford aren't too bad when, we're in sort of a structured defensive phase of the game. Like they will at that point go back and help yeah. out, you know, defending a fullback. But if we lose the ball, then the work rate and, and the other team is on a fast break, then the work rate isn't always there. But I think for Ronaldo, it often is. Towards the end of the game as well, there were three or four times in the last sort of 10 minutes when we were kind of under the cosh and Ronaldo was really, really key in just getting us out. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously he, he won that header that led to Rashford's goal that should have been allowed. But there was another occasion, I think, it led to, I think it was the break where Rashford tried to cross it in and Coleman cut the, cut the cross out to, that was going to Ronaldo at the back post. Yeah. And again, that all came from Ronaldo winning the ball as it dropped from our defence in midfield and he laid it off to Rashford. You know, just little things like that happened a lot. I thought, yeah, by, by far his best performance of the season. And look, we, we're going to need him because as much as I don't think he should probably be playing all the time, Ten Hag clearly doesn't favour him in terms of what his favoured lineup is. Martial can't stay fit. Rashford is clearly not a number nine full time. And even if we wanted to play him there, he's probably at his best on the left anyway. So we're going to need him at some point. We're going to need him, need him to be playing well. And hopefully this is a sign of some improvement. Yeah. And we know he can have really good games where his hold up play is good. I think back to, I remember when we were beaten at the Emirates in spring, it was a really bad day for everyone except Cristiano Ronaldo, who had a a genuinely good game, not just in terms of scoring, not just in terms of simply playing after what had been a horrendous few weeks for him personally. But his hold-up play was really good in that game. We know he can not necessarily be, he. I mean, we know he cannot be Anthony Martial in that exact mould of a player, uh, which has been really useful to Rashford and to Fernandes and to others. But he can have really good hold-up play. Obviously he can because he's one of the greatest footballers of all time. It's about it's about how much you have to sacrifice in order to get that. And that's an Eric Ten Hag problem. But you're absolutely right. We're going to need him because Martial again proved he's not reliable enough. And this was, yeah, this was just him in a complete microcosm, wasn't it? He was having a really, really good game showing exactly why he is the number one choice at the moment because of how well he brings others into the game, because of how well he fits into the system. He helped, he helped Rashford look better. Uh, Bruno Fernandes was making runs ahead of Martial, which is when Bruno's at his best, which is when United are at their best. And I thought it was interesting, Bruno, instead of making those runs on the left, kind of inside, well, on the inside left, it was on the inside right, which is, I think, another attempt along with Anthony to kind of try and spread United attack more evenly, uh, have it more evenly distributed. It was much needed. Um, and his hold-up play was brilliant. But 
again, yeah, not reliable enough injury-wise. We need a better and fitter version of Anthony Martial and then this team can could could kick on more. Obviously, we, we can't get that in the middle of October. That that trio of Martial, Fernandes and Anthony, the way they, they all play the game complement each other so well because Anthony obviously wants to cut inside pretty much all the time whenever he gets the ball. And and even in some of his movements as well, he he will come inside to try and receive the ball. Martial obviously wants to drop deep and Fernandez is at his best by far when he's going beyond the strike and making those runs into space. And then he's in space himself when he receives the ball to either shoot, pass, whatever it might be. And those three things complement each other so well because Martial drops deep. That then leaves space for Anthony to come inside. And then when Anthony comes inside, that leaves space in that right channel for Bruno to make runs beyond the striker. Yeah. And Martial is kind of the one that makes that all possible because he's then occupying some of the space that you would expect Bruno Fernandes to be in, but it's okay because Martial is good enough on the ball that he can receive it on the half turn, look forward. Our other striker options in in Rashford and and Ronaldo, you know, Ronaldo drops deep. I would not that much less often than Martial does it. But the problem is Ronaldo at this point in his career, whether he doesn't have the confidence or the ability or, or whatever to do it, every time he drops deep, the ball goes backwards which is fine. He's, you know, he's still contributing to moving the ball, but the difference with Martial is that when he drops deep, he can receive the ball on the half turn and look forward and then play those passes like we saw for the goal and to, to Anthony or to Fernandez or Rashford, whoever it might be. That's the difference with Martial in that, in that spot because he can effectively function somewhat as a number 10, obviously not exactly like a number 10, but so, enough like a number 10 in that role to be able to get the ball to those runners that are occupying the space that he leaves open by dropping deep. So those three dovetail so nicely, but he said, we just can't rely on him. He can't stay fit. And it's, it's, a, a, it's a massive shame because this should be such an opportunity for him to have his best time in a United shirt. It's also a shame because when we talk about a practiced and kind of a bit of identity to attacking like patterns of play, and that's a whole load of, <laughs> that sounds like a whole load of like PR speak or something. But when we talk about those kind of like obvious Patterns of play which happen several times in the game. What you've just outlined with Fernandez, Anthony, Martial is that, and that's what United missed under Solskjaer too often. There were some of them, and we we won't go through them again. There were some, uh, but we missed kind of a variety in that under Radnick. It, I mean, nothing existed under Ralph Radnick, <laughs> so best best to leave that alone. But that's what we wanted to see from Ten Hag, and I think we spoke about last week that we wanted to see a bit more. That the thing was still missing for now was Ten Hag was battling between his own principles and pragmatism, and that's a perfect. He can whatever side he falls down on that kind of internal debate he will be having with him and his coaches is fair enough. There's no right answer. That whether it works is a is a different story. But there's no right answer whether he should just stick to his principles outright or be very very pragmatic, which is seemingly what he's leaning a bit towards. But we, one of the things we spoke about about Ten Hag when he came in is we just wanted to see United have some identity or not have some identity necessarily at the start but be building towards having one and that has been missing even though results have got better that those kind of a, a, attacking patterns of play you're starting to lean towards that so it's a shame that Martial will see if he's out properly or if this is just a precaution or just a small setback of a week but yeah it's a shame I thought we saw a couple of other bits of kind of 10 hard principles against Everton a, quite a high defensive line and, and we were fairly confident on the ball early on. We're talking about pre-Ronaldo. This is pre-Martial going off. But we were caught very badly in transitions. It's the same old story. And, and Casemiro has to do better for for the Everton goal that they, they went ahead with. Um, Anthony's pass into him is a hospital pass as well. And then 
even from the Casemiro mistake, we've got to do better. This was the same story against City. Every time, and against Dominia actually, every time we make a mistake, we concede a goal. And that's down to uh, our, our work in transitions. The forward players not taking our off responsibility in those moments, the communication in the defence or the sharing of responsibilities not being good enough, whatever it is. It, it's a it's a bad sign and and this is uh, going I mean I said everything under Rannick didn't really exist but this was one of his his key things was United are really bad in transitions and we are we're really bad yeah it's something we struggled with for a number of years we're really sorry we're really good at attacking in in yeah. when we win the ball back we're great as we know but yeah well, in defence yeah, really bad all three all three goals came from from those yeah. those two two things a defensive transition. For Everton's goal and then two attacking transitions for our two goals. Yeah, I remember no the, huge surprise. I, I remember when I did a years ago when I did a coaching course with the FA. They just changed their course, and one of the key kind of fundamentals to the England DNA that they were putting in was kind of success in transitions, and they called it the. And I think this is widely agreed upon: the six seconds after possession changes hands or feet. Um, and in those, we well, yeah, I remember and, when. And, but the, sorry, the FA must have been watching that game, just rubbing their hands, going, "This is brilliant." Look at, <laughs> but actually, it's not. If that's happening, it's not the sign. Of, it might be a sign of a really exciting game. It's great, but it's not the sign of a high quality game necessarily. No, I remember when Rafa Benitez and Jose Mourinho were at Liverpool and Chelsea back in the mid 2000s. That really was the first time that, not necessarily the first time that English football knew about transitions. Obviously, it's been known about before, but the first time it was sort of talked about so publicly how important they were. And two coaches that very, very specifically focused on winning those transitional moments. Yeah. And I mean, that both of those teams were, were fantastic at them, especially Mourinho's Chelsea. But you're right, I think thriving, relying on, on transitions for a lot of our goals is a sign, you know, that we aren't quite getting to the point yet where Ten Hag obviously would want us to be, where we can have these good spells of possession, be able to create chances from sort of structured patterns of play. I've got to say, I thought... I thought Everton from after we conceded the goal to half time was probably the best we've played in that regard all season. It still wasn't great, but I thought we controlled the game more than we have done any other game this season. I thought we we managed to pull Everton around the pitch. We looked pretty composed in possession. And you did start to see some patterns, like we mentioned with with Fernandez and Anthony and Martial dovetailing really nicely. Obviously got Cattell with Martial's injury, but I thought there were there were signs that it was coming. I think the next step and what we're still lacking is that ability to actually turn those good moments, those passages of play where we are very much in control of the game. How do we become more incisive? How do we become yeah. more threatening with them? Because really, all of the chances we created against Everton were all from those transitional moments where there's a lot more space to work and you don't need those kind of structured patterns of play to break down a defence. That's still the the part of this that we haven't quite figured out yet. I think that's been true the whole season. There's no coincidence we haven't scored that many goals. Well, the other, there's kind of two ways of doing that, isn't there? There's being incisive in kind of Man City style or going back to when we beat Arsenal. Yeah. And this was the goal you spoke about specifically was you you create situations not where, you don't create situations where you're going to have a transition, you win it back, but you create situations where you pull a team backwards further towards your own goal and then capitalise on the space right. that you've created. So in in that instance, it was going all the way back to the Haya, pulling Arsenal's press forward and then using the space that, that had come in behind. And it, it worked very successfully. And I'm sure that's that's something we've seen from Tenarx Ajax and plenty of, of teams who use that kind of uh, style of play. And I'm sure it's something we'll see more, but it can't be the only way you do things because 
it's it's has an element of risk, obviously, and it requires a, an element of skill on the ball, and you need variety to the way in which you score goals. And at the moment, United, as you're saying, only really score in transitions, as we saw in in Cyprus as well, or very occasionally so far. By doing that, uh, that's that's still not enough, even if we're going to do the latter thing more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It just needs to be. It's something that's going to take time. I think it's, this is why you often see coaches when they come into a new team, you often say, I'm going to sort out the defense first. That is the far easier part yeah. of football to figure out when you're a new coach. Cause it is, it is slightly easier to be able to, to get players in a good defensive structure and be able to, to become a better team defensively. And I think to some degree, United have improved ever so slightly in defense. Still the transitions are, are a problem, but I think in structured defensive moments, we've improved this season, no doubt. The much harder way to improve a team is with the ball because that requires so much more, A, just time with it, with each other to know the system, but it requires so much more. I'm trying to think the best way to explain it. It requires so much more understanding from each player about what your movements need to be given the, the context of the situation that the game is in. So, you know, if, okay, if we've got the ball here and the team is, is pressing us high, we need to do these five things in this in this order to get the ball in. You know, it, it, there's so yeah. much sequencing that needs to happen to make a team a really good attacking force. And so it, it does take time. And I think all we can hope for for the next few months is that you start to see some shoots of progress for that. I saw enough in the Everton game to think that we are starting to progress in that way. But again, it's, it's how do we take control of the game and good possession of the ball and actually turn that into creating chances against the team when they're in a solid defensive structure? Because we, we still really struggle with that. Yeah. There's two really difficult things to... Well... Yeah, I'll say it anyway and then, then give the caveat after. There's two very difficult <laughs> things to create as a manager is, is what you've just spoken about and also a really kind of uh, solid pressing system, which, and this is the caveat, you can do to a certain extent relatively easily, but at kind of a more advanced level and, and making sure there are no mistakes because what we saw against Everton and we've seen many times uh, previously under Solskjaer, under Ranić and, and uh, even under Ten Hag so far is is that United's pressing is disjointed. It's so far off what it needs to be and what I think the manager is trying to get across. And so, and and a disjointed press is kind of even worse than just a n- none at all. Because as we've said before, you don't need to press to win games. It's a it's a choice. And a disjointed one means the other team are going to get through it through it. And when they get through it, they're going to have a chance to score ultimately. Uh, and United is disjointed at the moment and that's just going to take time on the training ground and it will be one of Ten Hag's biggest tests is how quickly can he do that? Is it quick enough that he doesn't have to give it up for this season? That's the real kind of test because if United keep conceding and, and this is kind of what we said, this season will be inconsistent. There'll be inconsistencies over fixtures, over months, over weeks, but also within games as well. It's about how you respond to those setbacks. And this week we responded to the setbacks well within games and after the after the derby. Uh, there's a few more things we should really discuss. Basically, Casemiro, David De Gea and Luke Shaw. We'll start very quickly with Shaw just because we should just say, there's not too much to say. He was just very good, wasn't he? Yeah, excellent. He was my man in both match, games. Everton. Yeah, very good. He proved yeah. everything that he offers above Malassi. I think you know, Malassi obviously did very well, but he we knew he had clear limitations to his game and that if Shaw was at his best, he should always be starting. Yeah, and and these were games that Shaw should be starting. And I, I also yeah. I think he is an example of a, a good thing from Ten Hag in that 
accountability for the players in terms of who starts. Malassia was doing well, so Shaw didn't start. Malassia made a mistake, so he's out. He now has to earn himself back into the team. As long as that's consistent and the players know it's consistent and there's not going to be kind of favourites and whoever, then then it's good. Uh, David De Gea, very good against um, against Everton. Some really positive signs. Yeah, I thought it was by far and away his best performance of the season. He was, in the first half especially, far more proactive at, at sweeping up danger than that, probably than I've ever seen him, to be yeah. honest. There were at least three occasions I can remember. One in particular where I think there was a loose ball, maybe from a header from United player. I can't, can't remember exactly how it got there, but he had to come a long way and, and he got there just ahead of, I think it was Dallow, who was the United player. And even Dallow seemed surprised that he was coming out that far. It was really good. There was a couple of other occasions where he, you know, sweat. They all seem to happen in that sort of right back channel. And very, very good. And then on the ball, I mean, we've obviously talked about his struggles playing out from the back, going back to the Brentford game in particular, the goal that from the pass to Ericsson. Been plenty. And then since then, he's sort of gone way back into his shell and just reverted to type and sort of just launching most of his, uh, most of the times he's on the ball, just launching it forward. None of that today or yesterday against Everton. He was far more composed. It was much better on the ball, playing it out to the other defenders. And we saw some of those clipped balls that we've sort of talked about up into Dallow and Shaw when they're pushed up a little bit further along the pitch. It's a long pass rather than just a, you know, a launched ball. Saw some of them. I was looking at the stats. This was the most he's, he's played passes from non, non, not from goal kicks in any Premier League game this season. Wow. The most chance, most passes he's completed, the lowest percentage of times when he had the ball when he just launched it long. You know, so we really, it, it was a, a real departure from what we've seen before. And, it made me think, so this, along with the fact that there was a clear difference in how we took goal kicks, where it was normally Martinez or Lindelof that would actually take the goal kick and they'd be standing on each side of the six-yard box. And then also with corners where United went short yeah. so often in this game. It made me think that, remember we talked, I think before the City game, that we wanted to see that United had, had worked a lot during this month where they had no Premier League yeah, games. Yeah, I was say, yeah. It almost makes me think, think that maybe we have actually done a lot of work, but the Man City game... And to a lesser extent, the Omonia game just weren't the, they weren't the, the matches to, to showcase anything because they both went so differently to how we expected so quickly. Yeah. Maybe United are going to come out and have some, some different ways of approaching a game. Yeah. I, I found the quarter routine interesting, kind of a short quarter, Rashford and Anthony on the edge of the box, which is, and then Anthony, it, yeah. it, it went to Rashford first and then to Anthony quickly. And I thought, you, you basically, I mean, first of all, it's offering a bit of variety, which is always good, as we've just said. But you're basically kind of relying on Can Anthony and Rashford. You're relying on their long shot ability, and they are both good at those things. And it doesn't just mean that they have to score from them, but can they kind of bounce it in front of the keeper and someone be there to tap home and, and mop up yeah. the rebound? I thought, yeah, it's just interesting. And especially with that lineup as well, because with with Lindelof and Martinez in at centre back, we don't have much height in that team. Yeah, yeah. Casemiro is relatively tall, but I think Lindelof's only about six foot. Martinez obviously not that tall, so. Make, without, I mean, it, it made sense for the, the game. Yeah, without McTominay as well. Yeah. Uh, Casemiro, in terms of height in the box, just very quickly at the very end of the game, really good kind of in-the-box defensive performance. Varane came on and denied Pickford, which was so, yeah. so needed because that God, just would yeah. have been the... The pictures of that yeah, Varane header. Yeah, and many others as well. And, and that's the kind of game we would have conceded in late on over the last 18 to 24 months. Is this a long-term thing? You can't say after one game. We'll see. Um, Casemiro, we saw the... the the best and the worst <laughs> of him. And I saw Real Madrid fans commenting that kind of this is what you get with Casemiro. And we maybe knew that a bit. We knew that he had weaknesses on the ball, on the pressure at least. Um, 
and his weaknesses were exposed uh, and his strengths were definitely, definitely shown. Uh, and that's, I guess, what, what this level of football does to, to any player. Honestly, this was one of the most baffling performances I've ever seen from any <laughs> United player. I, 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 was, I remember when in the build-up to the first goal, to, sorry, to our second goal, Casemiro gets the ball in midfield and he, he sort of just flicks a leg out. I think he's trying to play a pass with the outside of his foot. Yeah. And he, he almost completely <laughs> misses the ball. And at that time, my, my head was about to explode because it was about the fourth time already in that opening like 40 minutes that he'd done something similar to that. He'd obviously given the ball away in the lead up to the goal. And then five seconds later, he wins the ball back off yeah. the Wobi and immediately puts Ronaldo through on goal. And you're just sitting there. I'm just sitting there thinking like, what? Like, how, what, what do I even say about this guy? <laughs> you know? And <laughs> yeah, I thought he improved in the second half. But even then there was, there was one occasion when we were, we'd won the ball back off Everton. We were sort of on a counter attack. Casemiro received the ball around halfway and Anthony was in loads and loads of space on the right hand side. And he, he tried to kick it to him and he just, he, it was like, he, he just kicked the ground. The, and the ball traveled about five yards, went straight to Mikalenko. It was as if he like, he was like a 12 year old who just had like no power in his legs to kick the ball hard enough to get it out to Anthony. Yeah. And that happened a few times. But then on the flip side, like we had the pass to Ronaldo for the second goal. So many key interceptions and great, great just breakups of Everton play that really gave us a lot of breathing space, especially towards the end of the game. And we were under, under pressure. When he did get the ball and when he sort of had time on it, he picked some great passes. I think what I appreciate about Casemiro is if you contrast it to McTominay, let's say, and I, and I would say that they're, obviously they are very different quality players, but I think they're, their games are relatively similar in terms of their strengths and weaknesses. Casemiro seems to be a lot more aware of his deficiencies on the ball. And when he gets the ball in space, he doesn't necessarily want to drive forward like McTominay does. We always talk about McTominay sort of panic setting yeah. being, I'm under pressure, just drive forward, drive forward, drive forward. Casemiro's sort of default seems to be, I've got the ball, I immediately want to give it to someone else because they're better on the ball than I am. And you'd seem almost every time, even if he was in a lot of space, unless he saw a really quick, clear pass forward like he did for the second goal every time he picked up the ball he wanted to just pop it off to Ericsson or Fernandez or Martinez or Shaw or Dallow or even Lindelof he, he's like he seems to just be very self-aware in the fact that like I am not the person to be the creative force in this team let me give it to those who are better at it than I yeah. am and I appreciate that he needs to obviously clean up because we can't have him giving the ball away so often especially as we are we've mentioned we are so bad in those defensive transitions but so a second half in particular, he did show what he's capable of, but it was a, a really, really strange, very up and down performance. Okay, time for a youth and loan roundup. First, with the under-18s who were competing in the Premier League Cup this weekend, uh, hosting Newcastle, they had lost Aston Villa in the first game back in September. This time around, Finley McAllister's 25th minute opener, a sliding finish from a Dangor cross, was in vain as doubles from Josh Donaldson and Lewis Miley secured a comfortable victory for the visiting Geordies 4-1 in the end. United's final group match is against Arsenal. On the 5th of November, although the Reds cannot now progress to the latter stages of that competition. The under-21s are having a lot more joy in the EFL Cup, having won their first game against Carlisle United 2-1. We had a bit of a segment on that with Nathan Ridley from the Mirror a few weeks ago. This time they were at Barrow, Barrow in Finesse, and another 2-1 win. A great success and a, a last-minute winner 
from Alejandro Garnacho. Really, really good start to that competition. And United, for the first time, uh, could progress into the latter stages uh, from the from the group stages in the league. They had a three, a very entertaining three three draw at home against Brighton. Two goals from Kobe Mainu, one from Bjorn Hardley, uh, and the team will be disappointed they didn't get the win in the end after dominating the last fifteen minutes of that game. And there was actually a re- an interesting tactical point. Shola Shoratere played at false nine in that game. And Sam Mather came on kind of roaming across the front line, which was interesting. Sam Mather, one of those alongside Kobe Mine, who's playing a lot of 21s football, as well as a, a few bits in, in the 18s, where both players are doing really well in the 18s, but are kind of needed in the 21s at the moment and are doing well there. In lone news, Ethan Galbraith scored his first goal of the season to earn Salford City a 1-0 win away at Northampton Town. Alvaro Fernandez is enjoying some really, really good form with Preston North End. He started the season brilliantly, then had a small injury. Now he's back in, in great form. He uh, set up Preston North End's second goal, I think. Yeah, second goal in a 3-2 win away at Norwich City. Uh, just a properly, properly good left-footed cross. Uh, under pressure, not in that much space and just picked out Emil Reese absolutely perfectly and uh, Preston North End now eighth in the championship QPR who they're six places behind sorry five places behind QPR in, in third place level on points with the leaders Sheffield United and Norwich that's Ethan Laird's team QPR but he came off in the first half with a bit of tightness in his hamstring they did go on to win that game 2-1 against Reading bit of a concern there and, and Laird's in good form so hopefully that doesn't keep him out for long Hannibal made his first start for Birmingham City helping them to a 3-0 win against Bristol City he had uh, quite a good game for the 76 minutes he was on before being replaced by Jude Bellingham's brother Job. He took one a free kick that led to Austin Trusty scoring the second goal for Birmingham. Ahmad played for Sunderland as a substitute in a 2-1 loss at Swansea City and Mate Kovar, the goalkeeper, kept a clean sheet for Sparta Prague in his home country. Uh, no appearance time this week for Will Fish and Charlie Wellens for Hibernian and Oldham Athletic respectively. Okay, Jack, let's round up by previewing the Europa League match against Omanir. It was a it was a tricky game in Cyprus. I think it will be a much less tricky I hope I won't live to regret this. I think it will be a less tricky game at Old Trafford. It better be a less tricky game at Old Trafford. <laughs> I mean, yeah, th- th- this is, you know, clearly a game that we should be winning very comfortably. We've already played two away games in, in the Europa League and two of the in terms of the travelling, two of the tougher ones we sort of got out of the way in periods of the season that were a little bit, a little bit less hectic because of what happened in the scheduling. So now we've got two home games against Sheriff and against Almania away against Sociedad. You know, win these two home games that should see us through in the Europa League pretty comfortably. But we do want to it'll finish top through the and then because of the new. It, it will set us up for kind of a winner takes all match against yeah. Real Sociedad in in San Sebastian, yeah. which is exciting. And, and obviously, being coming first in the group is now important in the Europa League. Because oh, of the, yeah. the new the new knockout system. There's a there's there's kind of a debate amongst travelling United fans for this because those who can afford to both pay for it and have the time off would love to finish second or third even third taking us into the conference. Some people would love that a small minority, <laughs> uh, and then others would like to finish second so that we have around a round of 32 game. I'm in the camp where a round of 32 game would very much stretch things uh, into into the impossible. Uh, so I, I could really do with us winning the group. So we head straight yeah. into the round of 16. I mean, the the conference, Roma, have Roma ever won the, the Champions League? No. I'm just thinking if we went down to the Conference League and won it, would we then be the first team ever to win the Conference League, Europa League and yeah. Champions League and European Definitely. Cup? It was all, it's also interesting because if you remember when we beat Ajax in the Europa League in 2017, 
not just in United We Stand, but the United We Stand cover. Uh, and I think even the United Review cover afterwards was about completing the set. The Europa League was the one trophy in, in club yeah. football we hadn't won. That is no longer the case. We haven't won the Europa Conference League. That being said, yeah, yeah I want us to win the group, especially this group again with, with Sheriff and Omnia, <laughs> two teams we should be comfortably beating. And, and so far we have at least beaten, if not too comfortably. But like, I, I, was, I was in Cyprus and I, it was a really, really good trip and amazing weather. But I, I was speaking to, admittedly, an Apoel Nicosia fan, the rivals of Omnia, but he said they are like, you should be winning 5-0. They are really quite a bad team they're not they're not doing particularly well in the Cypriot League Cypriot League does have some quality and, and some good teams they have three teams in Europe this season I think Limassol are in the conference Larnaca in the Europa League or, or maybe the other way around but yeah three teams in Europe so they, they do have some quality but Omnia are not not a brilliant side they were definitely playing up on the occasion will they be able to play up for the occasion at Old Trafford maybe but I, I hope not and I, I doubt it for now. And you think a much bigger pitch at Old Trafford should allow us to yeah. control the game a bit better. We just need to make it our game. In the in these kind of yeah. matches, playing away honestly does make a big difference because Old Trafford's pitch is abnormally large and it does make a big difference when you have that bit of extra space that you can stop it from just becoming this sort of scrap that the Omanir game became at times. I mean, Ari, what was, what was it like in the stadium after we went 1-0 down especially? Because... You know, watching at home, all I could think was just flashbacks to Basaksha here and Denver Bar's goal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're in the sun, you're wearing shorts and a t shirt. It's not sunny anymore, but it's still about 21 degrees and there's kind of 20,000 people around you having the time of your lives. It's not, it's really not the end <laughs> of the world when you're there because <laughs> you think it's relatively early in the game. I, I back United to be, I, I was, to be honest, it was, it, I, I reacted by, by laughing because that's all you can do really in those situations. But, you also do, I think when it when it's a group stage game, not a knockout game, yeah. you do just want to look around and enjoy what ultimately is a, a bad moment for United, but is a great spectacle kind of watching fans of a smaller team absolutely living their dream. You hope that then United will turn it around as we did and, and that's great, but it is great just to see that moment of 20,000 people just erupting and a this huge noise. They made a lot, they were good Omanese fans. I said about Moldova that Sheriff's fans were pretty much non-existent in um, in Chisinau. Omni's support was was fantastic and and a great welcome onto the team for the uh, onto the pitch for the players and they made proper noise all throughout. It was a, a proper atmosphere and and it was yeah it was, it was enjoyable to be there. Um, and there were loads of Cypriot Reds in 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 our end. There were loads yeah. of Cypriot Reds in the home end, but that didn't stop it being a proper atmosphere. It was and then yeah, the comeback was great. It must be. It must just be a. It's just such a different experience, obviously, going to a game like that compared to going to, you know, a big game at Old Trafford in, in the league. Just the, the yeah, I, I, it's just yeah. so different the way, like you said, that you even approach how you feel about the game because it's difficult to feel that. Obviously, you're much less invested for a Europa League game, group game against Omni. I think it's mainly the fact it's group stages. If, yeah. if, say, if the League Cup or the FA Cup had group stages, would you care if you lost to... yeah. I mean, you would care if you lost to MK Dons because it's MK Dons. Would you care if you lost to, <laughs> I don't know, uh, Luton or Macclesfield or, or well, I'm not going to start naming local rivals, but you know, you know what my point is. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't care as much. It's, it, it just doesn't matter as much as long as you then get out of the group stages eventually. Yeah. And I mean, the traveling support was, was great as always, always just so, so impressed by United's away fans. Like Old Trafford atmosphere, it, it can be kind of hit and miss. It's definitely not as loud as it probably should be all the time considering how big the stadium is 
But United's away fans, that just are un- unbelievably good every single week, no matter the situation as well. Yeah, and the, the noise at Everton, I, c- I couldn't get a ticket, so I couldn't go. It's one of it's one of those aways that everyone wants to do, Everton, because partly because Goodison Park will be knocked down soon enough and partly because it's local and lots of reasons. It's just a, a, a kind of, a, not a local rivalry, but there is a bit of, <laughs> there's a bit of uh Agro it's a bit there. of needle in that fixture. Yeah, a bit yeah. of needle. And it's, yeah, it's just a great way to do. I couldn't get a ticket, but the noise coming through on TV was was brilliant. Yeah. And it, even at 1-0 down, like yeah, the first yeah. 20 minutes of the game, you thought Goodison would just be absolutely rocking. And to be honest, all you could hear after the, even after Everton scored was, was yeah, United. Yeah, hearing the United Calypso at 1-0 down and was, was... Yeah, exactly. Was that, that was the one I could just hear over and over again. Yeah. Which is the same song that was still going in the, in the bars of Ayanapa on Saturday night. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a brilliant away. I, I was only there. I arrived very, very early, like two, three a.m. Wednesday morning, and left pretty early Friday morning. So I wasn't there for long. But I wanted to see Larnaca and Nicosia. Larnaca, not an amazingly attractive town, but with some some great bits to it and a nice small old town and, and great food. Nicosia. A, pretty attractive place some like really nice old architecture and then some pretty impressive modern stuff and amazing food and and great local music and culture and yeah the top trip and just if you had to do one again Tiraspol or or uh, Tiraspol what to do it to do it again having just done it yeah Cyprus because you can get into the sea and sit in the 30 degree heat but in terms of if I had to choose one to do again in a few years Moldova because it's just a yeah, completely yeah, yeah. unique experience and somewhere you'd never I, I ever go those. other than following United exactly and to be fair I'd never been to Cyprus before so this is this is exactly why me and my brother do it because it, it takes us to places that we, we don't go to I've never been to San Sebastian or Bilbao before I've always wanted to go I'll be going there in November as well which is uh, very lucky to be able to do partly because Manchester's very well connected and somehow after hours of searching you can find relatively <laughs> cheap flights but it often involves going ridiculous ways including uh, we flew back from Cyprus we had a 6am flight after the on Friday morning after the game from Larnaca and then flew to Billund in Denmark the home of Lego a very small town but the home of Lego uh, and a, a common like stopover place for, for flying uh, and then back with like an 8 hour wait there and then back to London from there um, but yeah, it's quite a, quite a long day of traveling, but it's worth it for the, the two days in between. It was a, a, a properly good trip. And I, I, yeah, and also sit like Cypriots were very welcoming and Cypriot Reds, especially very welcoming. So I hope that any who are coming or, or anyone who's listening, thank you for the hospitality in your country. But also I think quite a few will come over for the old traffic game against Dominia. So I hope they have a great time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and on that note, we should wrap up. We're going to go into a Patreon Q&A. We're going to be talking about uh, a bit more about Casemiro, a bit about Anthony in comparisons with Cristiano Ronaldo, whisper it quietly. Um, that's not my suggestion <laughs> before before I get uh, tanked in a few years. Uh, yeah, and a bit on James Garner as well. And a bit on the handball, which we didn't mention yet but we will in the Patreon Q&A. If you want to hear that uh, and hear it every week, go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there for information about how to sign up for as little as £1.50 a week. For Jack's thoughts throughout the week, you can find him on Twitter at at UTD Tate's T-A-I-T. And you can find me on Twitter at HarryRobinson64. And as I said, the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod, P-O-D at the end there. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your continued support and have a great week. Goodbye.
Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.